Let's pray together. Father, we just want our amen to sound again and just praise you for the God that you are, have always been, and will always be. You are the unchanging, perfect, holy God. And in your grace, you have reached down to the likes of us. We praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your mercy. Lord, as we gather together now in this room and upstairs, I I pray, I pray that you would enable me just to wrap my arms around your people with your word. I, I pray that You'd enable me to shepherd them and guide them and speak truth as if I was just speaking one-on-one with each person here. I pray that you would visit us, that you would just work in all of our hearts. And Lord, I I ask for your enablement as, as I cannot preach on my own and I dare not try or I waste my time and your people's time. And so we ask for a, a spiritual, um, a spiritual time right now that only you can bring about. And so speak as only you can speak through the power of your word and your spirit. And may we be able to leave this place saying it was good to be in the house of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Amen. It's the most problematic physical condition in America. 25% of the population, that's 80 million people, have some variation of this disease. It is the leading cause of death in both men and women. It's heart disease. It takes many forms, coronary artery disease, congestive heart failure, arrhythmia, aortic aneurysm, heart defects. It is absolutely vital that you and I take care of our hearts. There is way too much at stake physically. It is absolutely vital that you and I take care of our hearts. There is way too much at stake spiritually. Too many of God's children struggle with spiritual heart disease, spiritual heart failure, spiritual heart defects. Many of our hearts are out of rhythm when it comes to God and how He wants them to be. There's a hardening of the spiritual arteries, so to speak, and and you and I need hearts that emulate, that imitate the heart of God, that beat like God's heart beats for the things that God's heart beats for. That, that, that is in rhythm with God's heart, the way that, that God wants our hearts to be in rhythm for the things that He desires. And this morning, we are going to study the heart of God. We're going to listen to it beat. We're going to see what makes it tick. We're going to watch it work. And in so doing, we want God to recalibrate our own hearts so that they start beating like His heart, so that they're in rhythm like His heart. We, do, we need them back in spiritual rhythm. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture in the book of Nehemiah, and I invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. And in this chapter, we behold the heart of God. And what we see is that God's heart has been under duress. He's been dealing with people, giving them a hard time. We see this in verse 16. The Israelites, they are fathers. They acted arrogantly. They became stubborn, would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen. They did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Now, if I were God, I'd have some serious heartburn at this point. And my blood pressure would be rising. And and, and my heart would be turning cold. And I'm tired of their arrogance and their stubbornness and their disobedience and their thanklessness and their rebelliousness. And yet, look what we see in verse 17. But you are a God of forgiveness 
gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them. Arrogant, stubborn, disobedient, forgetful, thankless, rebellious, and those were the things we saw last week that we need to guard our hearts from. And this morning we see how God teaches us to open our hearts like he opens his heart. What does he teach us to open our hearts to? Number one is forgiveness. And some of you need to hear this. Because you harbor bitterness in your heart and you will not let it go. You are so angry at that person and what they said or how they treated or what they've done to you. Some of it years and years ago. Maybe it was just this past week. God is saying your heart is at a kilter. It's not beating right. It's not in rhythm. And you need to get it back in rhythm like my heart. Open up your heart to forgiveness. Forgiveness means to pardon. To pardon those who don't deserve your pardoning. To forgive those who don't deserve to be forgiven. Forgiveness also means to cover. It means to conceal. You know, oftentimes that's not our first response to somebody's sin against us. We want to tell everybody about it. We want to reveal it. We want to talk to people about it and tell others what they did and what they said and how they treated us. And can you believe that? That's called gossip. That's called slander. And that's not the heart of God. God says you need to cover, you need to conceal. There's a great illustration of this in Scripture. A man named Ham, his father was Noah. Noah was in a drunken stupor and uncovered his nakedness in his tent. We see the story in Genesis chapter 9, 21. He drank of the wine and became drunk and covered himself inside his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers about it. Can you believe, Dad? And then he mocked him and talked about his sin. The response of the brothers is what's remarkable. We see this in verse 23. Shem and Japheth, they took a garment, they laid it upon their shoulders, and they walked backwards to cover the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. They covered the sin of their father, instead of revealing it, instead of talking about it. You know what they teach us? They teach us to treat others with dignity, even in their depravity. Treat others with dignity, even in the midst of their depravity. You don't have to mock them. You don't have to make fun of them. You know what else they teach us? Don't expose yourself to those who have exposed themselves. Don't expose yourself to those who have exposed themselves. Pornography is exposing yourself to those who have exposed themselves. Staring at the sinful shame of other people instead of covering it, instead of turning away, instead of not looking. Don't expose yourself to those who have exposed themselves. And treat others with dignity even in their depravity. You cover it. You don't call attention to it. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Why? Say it with me. Because love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't reveal it. It doesn't talk about it. It doesn't share about it. It covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 19.11, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger. And it is his glory, say it with me, to overlook a transgression. Yes, you may need to confront somebody in love in their sin. That, that's biblical as well. But you don't reveal it and share it and talk about it. By the way, this is in present tense. But you are a God of forgiveness. God's character, 
His, he's characterized by forgiveness and he's characterized by being a continually forgiving God. Aren't you glad he's a continually forgiving God? If this is God's character, what should be the character of his children? The same. If God is characterized by continually forgiving people, you and I need to be characterized by continually forgiving people. Or what are we known as? Would people look at us and say, that's a continually forgiving person? Or would they say, that's a bitter old woman who won't let go of that sin? They're always whining and complaining about what so-and-so said or so-and-so did. They're so unforgiving and they refuse to let go of the past. What would you and I be characterized by? Would we be characterized by continual forgiveness? The Lord had to teach Peter about forgiveness. Matthew 18, 21, Peter comes with a question. Lord, how, shall, how often shall I, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And he wants to be generous. Up to seven times? I can do it, God. And the Lord's response, I do not say up to you seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Not 490. You don't keep track, Peter. You don't keep record of wrongs. You don't do that. You continually forgive. Forgive as God has forgiven. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Say it with me. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Do you remember how much God has forgiven you? Do you remember how often God forgives you? That's the same way you need to forgive other people. Remember how much God has forgiven you and remember how often God has forgiven you. And start forgiving people the same way. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Whoever and anyone. In other words, the friend who betrayed you. The ex-spouse who abused you. The parent who abandoned you. The neighbor who gossiped about you. The co-worker who lied to you the fellow believer in this church who, whatever they did to you. He says, you know what? Forgive each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Stop holding people's sin over their heads. Stop writing people off. God is saying, be done with grudges and bitterness and hate, hate, hate. God doesn't hold his sin over your head. He doesn't hold our sins over our heads. I love 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's something nice about a nice hot shower after you've gotten all dirty, sweaty, and smelly. You know the beautiful thing about a hot shower? It, it cleanses you and it comforts you. You know what's beautiful about God's forgiveness? It cleanses you and it comforts you. It washes you and it keeps you warm. That's forgiveness, friends. Praise God for it. Good reminder is Psalm 103, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. What benefits? Who pardons what? All your iniquities. Not just one or two, every single sin you have ever committed. If you're a child of God, he's washed them away. Verse 10, he's not dealt with us according to our sins. Praise his name. We don't get what we deserve. He's not rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That's forgiveness. It's gone. Your sin is gone. That's the heart of God. Let your heart be 
with forgiveness. The heart of God, open your heart to graciousness. He says gracious. It means merciful. It means kind. It, it comes from, you have to understand this word, it comes from a position of power and authority over other people. In other words, you're in charge and you don't have to show them grace. But you can and you should. I sent my daughter to the laundry room, that little rotten sinner, Thursday night. <laughs> my six-year-old daughter. She had just a rotten little attitude. That's in nature like her mom. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get it later for that one, I know. And I sent her to the laundry room where we uh, practice discipline in our home. And I told her I want her to go in there and I want you to think about what you did and your attitude. I walked in a few minutes later and uh, there's a little basket where we keep the wooden spoon and I picked up the wooden spoon and I instantly watched her countenance just just fall. And I decided to grant a gracious pardon that day. It had nothing to do with being the youngest daddy's little girl that she wears the multicolored coat in the family and, and, and that she has me wrapped around her finger. has nothing to do with that, okay? And I'm sure the boys, I pardon them just as much. I'm sure of it. What we need to learn is that there are times that we need to be gracious. You're the boss. Are you gracious when you don't have to be? You're the parent. Are you gracious when you don't have to be? You're in charge of people or something. Are you gracious when you don't have to be? You don't have to be harsh. You don't have to be condescending. You don't have to put people in their place all the time. I want you to understand this. God is God in the ultimate position of power and authority. And he chooses to be gracious when he doesn't have to be. Let your heart beat the way God's heart beats. With forgiveness. With graciousness. Open your heart to compassion. He's gracious and compassionate. Now, God is trying to stress this point in this chapter. Six different times in Nehemiah chapter 9, God is called compassionate or a God of great compassion. You can underline it in your Bibles. Verse 17, verse 19, verse 27, verse 28, and two times in verse 31. There's an obvious message that God is trying to get across to us. I'm compassionate, I'm compassionate, I'm compassionate, I'm compassionate, I'm compassionate, I'm compassionate. Does your heart beat that way? Are you compassionate? It means to show sympathy for one in distress with a desire to alleviate that pain. It, it carries the idea again of mercy. Think, think about the story of the Good Samaritan. You know it well. Luke chapter 10, verse 33. There's a Samaritan. He's not a Jew. The Jews scorn the Samaritans. He's on a journey. He comes upon this Jew. This man has been beaten and robbed and left for dead. And when he saw him, what did he do? He felt compassion. And he came to him and he bandaged up his wounds and he poured oil and wine on them and he put it on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I return, I'll repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell among the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed him what? Mercy toward him. 
Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Jesus said to him, what? Say it with me. Go and do the same. Compassion, go and do the same. Mercy, go and do the same. Think about this passage here. What do we learn about compassion? It reaches across ethnic lines. This was a Samaritan reaching out to a Jew. A white guy can reach out to a black guy. A black guy can reach out to a Hispanic guy. A Hispanic guy can reach out to an Asian guy. And all mixed up in between. That's compassion. There's no lines there. It reaches across the lines. Compassion takes the time to stop and help. This guy's traveling through. He's got a busy schedule. He stops. You know what compassion does? It stops. and says, how can I help you? Compassion uses its hands to relieve the physical pain. It gets its hands involved in the situation and gets them dirty. This guy's bloody and beat up and his hands are in there ministering to this guy. Use your hands. Compassion, hands of compassion. He utilizes his own resources. He puts the guy on his beast, whether it's a donkey or a camel, whatever. And and then he uses his financial resources and, and pays for his stay at the inn. And then on top of that says, whatever else cost I incur, I'll pay for that too. In other words, compassion puts its money where its mouth is. You really care for people? Then do something for them. Compassion flexes its schedule. He takes a total detour. He doesn't just stop and help. Now he takes a detour and goes to this inn and puts all of his plans on hold. That's compassion. It reaches across ethnic lines and takes time to stop and help and uses its hands physically and utilizes its resources financially and flexes its schedule and takes a detour. God is saying, have a heart of compassion. That's how I want your heart to beat with compassion. Sometimes God has to teach us about compassion by being on the receiving end of it. We may not fully understand it until we've received an outpouring of it. Our family experienced that this past, uh, past year with Dawson having a seizure and then three months later having brain surgery. And, and honestly, we went into that brain surgery not showing if our son would ever be the same again or if God would spare his life or not. And it was during that time that we just felt an incredible amount of compassion from God's people. The prayer, the encouragement, the love, the support. And, and honestly, it gave me a renewed appreciation for what compassion looks like, what it sounds like, and what it does. And it's helped me to have a greater understanding of people with physical struggles and the emotional toll it takes, and the family upheaval with schedules and appointments, and the financial pressures with costs of care, and all the things involved. Compassion. Colossians 3.12, so as those who've been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. God says, I want you to wear a compassionate heart. I want you to think of it in sense of a, of a medical coat, maybe a doctor puts on or, or someone in residency puts on. And then they make their rounds in the hospital. They put on that coat and they make their rounds and they see how the patients are doing. Every single morning, we need to put on this heart of compassion, this compassion coat, if you will. You know what we need to do? We need to make our rounds in life. We need to make some phone calls every day. Send an email. Text somebody. See how they're doing. Facebook them. Call them. Stop by their house. Every day, put on your heart of compassion and make your rounds. You've heard about that friend struggling in their marriage. Call them and pray with them. You've heard about that individual who just lost a loved one. Stop by their house. 
Some physical problem just took place, and you've been made aware of it. Well, God made you aware of it so that you can reach out to them. Put on the heart of compassion. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, learn how to shed a tear. Some of you are hard. You don't cry very easy. And you look down at people that do. God says, maybe you need to pray for a softened heart that you can enter into the pain of other people and feel what they're going through. May our hearts beat like God's heart. Forgiveness, graciousness, compassion, patience. Slow to anger. He says, I want your heart to beat with patience. It means long-suffering. I shared the story last week of a young man at Aurora Christian School. Here's a picture of him. He was sitting in his girlfriend's parking lot on Valentine's Day. It was nine degrees out, and he got there early so that he could have this big stuffed animal for her and a dozen pink roses and a box of chocolates and a coffee from Starbucks. It's nine degrees. The guy's there early. His name's Cole Calamos, waiting for his girlfriend. And everybody said, aww. What I didn't tell you last week is she was over an hour late for school. I told that story to uh, Carlton Sealing earlier, Carlton Sealing, and you know what he said? Wait till he gets married. (laughs) He's just being prepared, man. Carlton, you're in trouble, dude. (laughs) Look at him, his hands were over his face back there in the sound booth. (laughs) You should never tell a preacher something before he preaches, man. (laughs) You never know how it might come out, but anyway. Oh. He waited over an hour. Can I tell you something? That's long-suffering. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is many things. First and foremost, it is what? It is patient. It is patient. He says, slow to anger. Some of us lose our tempers really easy. We have these short fuses. If, if we know that love is patience, is patient, then listen carefully. Losing our temper points to a lack of love. If love is patient, and we lose our temper, it points to a lack of love. A lack of love for our spouse. A lack of love for our child or children. A lack of love for a neighbor or coworker. A lack of love for a brother or a sister. Slow to anger, God says. He teaches us some important things about slow to anger. Proverbs 14, 29. He who is slow to anger has great understanding. You know what slow to anger is? It's a sign of intelligence. But he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Losing your temper just makes you look like a fool. That's what it does. It's a sign of intelligence, being slow to anger. Ecclesiastes 7.9, very similar. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Some of you have this anger you won't let go of. It's just in your heart, and you're so mad, and you're stewing over something else. And God is saying it's making you look like a fool. And, and do foolish things and say foolish things. Let it go. Let it go. Proverbs sixteen thirty two. he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules the spirit than he who captures the city. It's not only a sign of intelligence being slow to anger, it's a sign of strength. It shows strong character, not weakness. It's a sign of maturity. Proverbs nineteen eleven. a man's discretion makes him slow to anger. And it's his glory to overlook a transgression. It's a sign of maturity. 
And by the way, nothing good comes out of our anger. James 1, 19 and 20. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and say it with me, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Your anger is not going to bring good about. It's not. Be careful of your anger. Be slow to anger. Let your heart beat like God's heart beats. Forgiveness, compassion, graciousness, patience. Open your heart next to loving kindness. Slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. That means it's love that is present in great quantity. There's a never-ending supply of God's love. That's a whole lot of love. You ever find yourself in the bathroom and realize of all things you're out of toilet paper? Yes, yeah, some of you have been there. Okay, you know. And right away you're like, hello, anybody out there? Could you bring me some TP? And you're yelling at your kid, you're yelling at your spouse, you know, you're kind of stuck right there, and there's nothing you can do. I, wanna, I want you to understand, you'll never be stuck without God's love. <laughs> you'll never be stuck without God's love. I just want you to understand that. I know, how can I relate God's love to toilet? I don't know, but anyway. I want you to understand something about God's love. You're never going to call out and he's going to say, I'm short this week, you'll have to come back next week. It's never going to happen. He has a never, ever ending supply of love for you. Understand that. I love the song, One Thing Remains by Jesus Culture. You know it. Higher than the mountains that I face, stronger than the power of the grave, constant through the trial and the change, one thing remains. Say it with me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Say it again. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. And on and on and on it goes. It overwhelms and satisfies my soul and I never ever have to be afraid because what? One thing remains. You may run out of everything. You will never run out of God's love for you. Never. It's impossible. Consider the scope of God's love in Ephesians 3, 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend. Just try to think about it. Try to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the width, and the length, and the, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which what? surpasses knowledge. He says, just try to get your peanut brain around the incredible love of God. Just try to get your your mind around the width of it. We're told, Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far as I've removed your sins from you. That's the love of God. You, You can't see the east from the west. It's never-ending. That's God's love. He says the length of it. I mean, think about how far it goes. God's love reaches all the way into eternity and infinity forever. You can't see the end of God's love for you. Think about the height of God's love, the kindness and the benevolence and all that he's done and forgiveness. You cannot see the height of God's love. Think about the depth of God's love, the the depths that it dives to, to, to rescue sinful, depraved people. There is no depth that God won't go to to save people out of their sin. No matter what your sin and what you did and how disgusting and how bad it was, God dove down to save you. He says, you cannot, you, you'll never grasp how much he loves you. The width, the length, the height, the depth. And the amazing thing is, in context here, this love shines in the darkness. And it shines brightest in the darkness. 
The backdrop of God's love is the darkness of arrogance and stubbornness and disobedience and thanklessness and rebelliousness. In other words, there's some lessons about true love. True love loves regardless of whether it receives love. True love loves regardless of whether it receives love. Matthew 5, 30, 43 says, you've heard that it was said, You'll, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The Lord said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Do you realize the son came up this morning and blessed nasty, foul, atheistic, cursing God heathens. Why would God do that? Because he loves them. His son rises on the evil and the good. He sends rain, he says, on the righteous and unrighteous. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? He says, there's no reward. Everybody loves those who love them. But do not even the tax collectors or the sinners do the same? So what else does he teach us about true love? True love loves those who don't deserve love. True love loves regardless of whether it receives love, and true love loves those who don't deserve love. That's what makes it love. So love regardless if you receive it in return, and love even those who don't deserve your love. That's God's heart. That's the heart of God. Open your heart next to commitment. Listen to this, and you did not forsake them. God didn't abandon them in spite of their arrogance and stubbornness and rebelliousness. He didn't desert them. He didn't renounce them. He didn't turn away from them. He could have, in our eyes, he should have, and he would have, but he's a promise-keeping God. God always keeps his promises. And he keeps them to you too. 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains what? Faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And, and, and some of you need to hear this. He's committed to you. Some of you just blew it this past week. You, you found yourself doing something, saying something, acting in a way you're so ashamed of, and you need to understand he's committed to you. He still loves you. He's committed to you. No matter your sin, he's not going to forsake you. In spite of what you've done, he will not forsake you. No matter how far you've wandered away, he will not forsake you. Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more to you. And by the way, this is a commitment that is every single day commitment. God wakes up every single day, so to speak, and says, I'm committed to you this day. And tomorrow, I'm committed to you this day. And the next day, I'm committed to you this day. Every single day. Lamentations 3.22. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For his mercy or his compassions never fail. They are what? New every morning. Say it with me. Great is your faithfulness. That is the heart of God for you. His heart beats with forgiveness and graciousness and compassion and patience and loving kindness and commitment. And may our hearts beat the same way. Let's pray. Father, we are astounded. We are amazed at the God that you are. And we praise you for your heart. Help us to have hearts like your heart. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just take a moment right now and talk to the Lord. Maybe you just need to worship him right now. 
Praise him for his forgiveness. Praise him for his patience. Praise him for his mercy and compassion. Just do that right now. Maybe you're here today and you're holding on to hatred and anger and bitterness. And your heart is out of rhythm. Confess that to God right now. Let go of the anger. Give it over to him. Remember how much he has loved you. You may be here today and honestly in your heart you're saying, I need God. If this is the kind of God he is, I want his forgiveness. I need his compassion. I need him in my life. Today, if you're here, you can become a child of God. You can experience his love and forgiveness. And you may say, Scott, that's me. I need him. I need forgiveness. Then in the quietness of this moment, I ask you just to call out to the Lord right now. Call out with words like these. Lord Jesus, I am a wicked sinner. Will you dive down and will you save me? Please forgive me of all my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me that much. I place my faith in you, Lord, to save me. Please forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've called out to the Lord, we would love to just talk to you about that decision. You can let a good Christian friend or family member know, or you can let one of our ushers know, but something else.